We now come to the time in our service where we open God's Word. Very important time, very important focus, because this is where our focus is to be. We're bombarded by the world's thinking all week long, and we need to hear God's thoughts. And that's why we make it a priority to open the Scriptures. Our passage this morning is going to be part of, or in 1 Peter chapter 2, you want to turn there, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17 this morning. I want to read this to you before we begin. I'm going to begin back at the passage we looked at last week in verse 11 and 12. Peter writing to persecuted believers scattered around, living in different countries than they had been before, forced out of their homes because of persecution. He writes in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that's the unbelievers. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to the Lord's, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. I had a job during my college years, and I worked with several other people in an office, and um, there was a guy who worked with us who came into the office after we'd all, I'd been there for a while, and he was different. He was just different from the rest of us. Uh, he was calm and peaceful and basically mature. That's all I can say than the rest of us. We were just living lives for ourselves and boasting about all the sinful things that we did and were doing, living in accordance with our fleshly desires. This guy wasn't like that. He didn't talk like that. He was just different. One day he told me he was a Christian. And he said, what do you think about Christianity? And I proceeded to tell him that I too was a Christian. And I had gone to church and I had walked down, even walked down an aisle. And I had even prayed a prayer. And I had done this several times. And I was a Christian too. And I'd been baptized. And then he said in a very direct yet gentle way to me, how can you make that claim that you're a Christian? And all the things I hear you talking about you're doing and the life that you are living, how can you make that claim that you are one who belongs and a follower of Jesus Christ? I was stunned. Nobody had ever said that to me. I was offended in one sense, 
but yet I knew he was right. I knew he was right. I had grown up in a church. I knew some of what the Bible said a Christian was supposed to be like. And I knew, as that saying goes, there was not enough evidence to convict me of being like that, of being a Christian. But God used that conversation. It haunted me. It haunted me. And it was instrumental in me uh, coming to a point where I cried out to God one night in my trailer that I lived in while I was going to Florida State and told God, I said, God, I don't know if I was ever really saved or not. I don't know. I don't, it doesn't seem like it. But I want to know that right now. I want to know how I stand before you. And God, I want other people to know that about me. I want my friends, I want this fraternity that I'm in, I want those guys to know that I belong to Christ. I really want that. I don't want to play this game. I don't want to play church, which I wasn't anyway, but I don't want to be just like that kind of person. I really want to know you, and I really want to be a follower of Jesus. I repent of this lifestyle that I have embraced and turn away from that. And I want those guys to know. And then an opportunity came a few months later for one of them to call me up and said, there's something different about you. You are not the same person you were a few months ago. You're not the same person you were when I met you. That certainly opened up opportunity. But you see, time had given the opportunity for credibility to become evident. That it wasn't just some emotional moment in a trailer, but it was gradually becoming a reality in how I talked, a reality in what I did, in the places I went. It began to affect how I lived. It wasn't perfect. It didn't put Christ on the best of displays. I failed a lot. But the point was, I knew that God was doing a work in me and it was being manifested in my life, little by little, and certainly not perfect by God's grace he began to answer that prayer I think that's what Peter is talking about here folks I think that's what he's talking about here he's talking about evangelism he's talking about the greatest tool you have in evangelism is your life your behavior how it changes you that's what he's talking about He's talking about reaching this world. You, you guys are being persecuted. So what do you do? Go hide? No. You reach the Gentiles, the unbelievers around you. Do you cower in a corner? No. Do you put something over that light? No. No. You live life before them. You let the credibility of your testimony, the credibility of your life, Silence their accusations. Take the words out of their mouth. 
things they accuse you of. Isn't that what he says in verse 11 or verse 12? So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, that they may, because of your good deeds, and as they observe them, as they watch you, glorify God in the day of visitation. As they see this outward manifestation of this inward change, verse 11, this inward change, verse 12, this outward life that results. And the point is that of that verse is the good deeds. They let them see those good deeds. Let your light shine before men. They may see your good deeds. They may see your good works and glorify God. It draws attention to Christ when they see you doing these things. When they see you doing these things that the world does not do. When they see you doing these things that man in his own left to himself could never accomplish. When they look at you and they see you responding differently, when they look at you and see you living differently, when they look at you and see your behavior is different. That's your best evangelism tool right there. Look in verse 15. It says, behavior, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy of yourselves also in all your behavior. That's 1.15 of 1 Peter. Look at 3.1, speaking to wives. We're going to get to this in a couple of weeks. Wives, you want to reach your unbelieving husband. Let it be through your behavior, he says. May be one without a word by the behavior of their wives, 3.1. Look at 3.16. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. That's the credibility of the gospel. Your behavior and my behavior. Unbelievers are watching. We said that last week. They hope you will fail. Most of the time they're hoping you will fail. You know why they want that? It's so they can justify why they don't follow Jesus themselves. But they're watching. They observe over a time and they draw conclusions as to whether Christianity is real. And the result being the end of verse 12, that God will use that to visit them and call them to repentance. Maybe it'll even be the person that ridiculed you that comes to Christ. Maybe in some of their cases, it may be the person that killed them that will come to Christ. So he gives that general exhortation in verses 11 and 12. And now he's going to give some specific good deeds in verses 13 and following. What are some good deeds that you can do in the midst of unbelievers so that God may visit them in the day of his visitation to call them to repentance? See the word submit? Wow, we got started rough here submit you see that in verse 13 18 and 3 1 submit he gives three different areas where good deeds can be shown in this passage first it's in society with government we're going to see that today then it's verse 18 it's to the employer in this context it was slave to master submit and then it's to the wife to the husband submit that's contrary to the world. The world does not talk like this. This, not, this goes against our very nature. Nothing in me wants to submit naturally 
Peter's talking about, and the one we're going to look at today, he's talking about governing authorities. People who rule over us. And that's what all of these are, basically. Your employer rules over you. Wife, your husband leads you. People who are in that position of having to submit to an authority that is over them. And see, he says, just because this world is not your home, this world is not your home, you're just pilgrims passing through, it does not mean we don't have obligation to submit to authority. In our context for today in 13 through 17, it's going to be to governments. Just because I've submitted to the heavenly king does not mean I don't have an earthly king that I'm to submit to. As an exile on this earth, I have a dual citizenship. Philippians 3.20, as a Christian, my citizenship is in heaven. As an earth dweller, a human being, I'm a citizen of this country. Some of you are citizens of other countries. I have a responsibility to that country. I'm to submit. Turn to Jeremiah 29. I think you'll find this somewhat helpful. It was pointed out to me, and I just thought it was really a good passage. In Jeremiah 29, in Jeremiah chapter 29, Judah, the northern kingdom, is already taken into captivity before this event. But in 29, Judah gets taken into captivity. The southern kingdom gets taken into captivity by the Babylonians. They had rebelled against God, and as punishment, I'm taking you away into captivity. You're leaving the land. I'm taking you into the Babylonian exile. It's going to last for 70 years. So what are we supposed to do when we're in Babylon? What do we do while we're in Babylon? Living under a godless king. Not in the land, but we're living under a godless king. Look at verse 4 of Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into the exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He's going to say to them, Don't be defiant and rebellious. That is the opposite, by the way, of submission. Defiance and rebellion. If you're not not submitting, then you're a rebel. Don't be rebels while you are there. Here's what he goes on to say. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek, notice, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf pray for that city for in its welfare you will have welfare you pray that it will go well with them so it will go well with you for thus says the Lord verse 10 when 70 years have been completed for Babylon I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and to bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope and then you shall call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart addressed to the nation Judah 
but the principle is helpful for us today. We are exiles in this world. And how should we conduct ourselves as exiles while waiting for God to bring to us our heavenly home? That's the point. How do I conduct myself now? Don't start a rebellion. Don't start a rebellion. That's what he's saying while you're there. It's a godless king. Don't start a rebellion. Don't be defiant. I have brought you there. You're the sovereign. I have sovereignly put you where you are. Build houses. Pray for the welfare of the city. Go to the text. Go to 1 Peter 2. Peter explains the duties of dual citizenship. Peter explains the, the, the good deeds that we are to perform. 2.13 of 1 Peter. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Hupertasso, place yourself under, fall into rank under someone of higher rank. Excuse me, fall under someone of higher rank. This is intentional. This is determined. This is something you do. This is something that you are to do willingly. Gladly, it's a determined choice. Come under submission to the governing officials who rule over you. People all over the world are reading this book, okay? Same verses we're reading. They don't all live in democratic societies. And this is for everybody, every believer on the planet. Be submissive. We hate the idea of submission. This is what he says. If you're going to be people that are going to make a difference, don't be like everybody else and rebel in defiance. He's saying submit. Federal, state, local leaders, that's what he's talking about, everybody. Anybody that God's placed in authority over us. Family, workplace, all those human institutions, submission. We're all to be in submission. Teachers at school, Submission authority all over the Bible. God is the ultimate authority, but he's delegated authority. In the home, fathers, you are the authority. You have authority in your home. In the church, he's given authority to the pastors and elders. In government, he's given authority to kings and presidents, governments. It's a common grace, folks. It's a common grace because you don't want the alternative. You don't want the alternative of no government, of no authority and submission. The home would be a disaster. The church would be a disaster. Society would be a disaster. It's called chaos. It's called everybody doing what is right in their own eyes, the days of the judges, right? I need government to keep a lid on things. I need laws to keep a lid on things. I need people to enforce those laws to keep a lid on things. People, we would kill each other if we did not have that. You see that in that verse. He sent him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. 
Government exists to do that. It's a common grace God gives to everybody on the planet is government. Genesis 6, you don't, may not recall Genesis 6, but it's right before the flood. Only eight righteous people on the planet. Eight righteous people. You know why? It was a chaotic world. A chaotic world. Evil continually. God said, I wish I hadn't created this place. He destroys it with the flood. It's chaos. Everybody doing what is right in their own eyes. That's the days of the judges. Cycles of judgment, cycles of just going nowhere. Society for Israel. You could read Romans 13. I'm not going to go into all of that this morning. You can look at Romans 13. The same says the very same thing Peter says here. It just adds some things to it. But he says every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities. There's no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. To resist government is to resist God. I do want you to turn to this one though. Titus 3. Just hold your hand in 1 Peter. We'll be right back. In Titus chapter 3, he says this in Titus chapter 3. Titus, Paul, writing to Titus, he says, Remind them, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Notice this, wow, wow, to malign no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Paul is saying to Titus, tell them to be in subjection to, under their laws. Listen, I know there's an exception, okay? I haven't got there yet. But I just want to say this about it. I am be obedient to God, to the laws of my nation and my country until those laws become, come between me and the will of God, okay? Because I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, when's he going to get to that? But, but you know what? I, I, Peter doesn't mention it. Peter doesn't even mention that. And, and you know why? Because we know that. We know that. But he does say this. He says they're to be subject to those laws. Speak evil of no one. See, you're going to get, you're, this is going to sting you today. I bet this stings some of you today. This maligning, this maligning stuff here, he says. This arguing, this being a brawler. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of maligning my leaders. I'm guilty of wishing evil for all of them. (laughs) Thinking like that. (laughs) Timothy, they're all under Nero. They're all under horrible leaders. That's the context. It's a terrible, terrible Roman. Roman rulers were just dictators, tyrants. And our ultimate example in all of this is found down in verses 21 and following, and we'll get there next time, but in ver- or, or a few weeks. 21 and following is the Lord Jesus Christ. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Just kept entrusting himself to God. So all I'm just trying to point out is we're to be law-abiding citizens. We are to be law-abiding citizens. We're not defiant. We're not to try to overthrow the government. We're not to try to plan an insurrection. 
We're not, to, we're not to do anything to malign our leaders, as, as Titus says. He says, even if we don't like them and what they're doing and didn't vote for them. See, the, the great American pastime is to talk bad about your leaders. That is not, that is that, believers and unbelievers, talk bad about your leaders. We're to show honor, even if we don't agree with them. Nero slaughtered lots of Christians. He was cruel. Even after this letter's written, Peter's put to death by Nero. So submission does not depend on the moral virtue of the one that God has placed over you. Understand that. You're going to see that in the next two examples as well, in the workplace and in the home. Submission does not depend on the moral virtue of those God has placed you under. And so as, gra- as a grace to us, God has established structure. And a Christian is to willingly come under it. And, and it's an absolute command. It's an absolute command. There are no, there's no stuttering here. There's no uh, nothing. It's just straight out. But we know there's an exception. We know there's an exception because you have other verses in the Bible. But this is our default. Romans 13, Titus 2, this passage in 1 Peter, that's our default. Our default is always, I want to be in submission to government. I want to honor those who God has put in authority over me. And and God knows the exceptions. He knows the exceptions. And it's for the Lord's sake that I will obey God for the Lord's sake. When the Lord says something and government says to do something else, then I will have to go with what God says. He is the ultimate authority. If they overstep their divinely delegated authority, we have to obey God, not the government in that situation. And we do that respectfully. We do that still in an attitude of submission to them. But we say no. We cannot go against what God commands. We must disobey you to obey God. You have limited authority. God has ultimate authority. And you, whether you're a believer and whether you know this or not, God has given you authority and it's a limited authority. And as long as you stay in your lane and do what he has given you the responsibility of doing, then all is well. But when you come and tell me to do something or tell our church to do something that goes against God and His will, and then, hey, <laughs> we go with God every time. You have out, you're out of your lane. You're out of your lane. Hebrew midwives, think about them for a minute. They were told to kill all the babies, males, male babies, their conscience wouldn't let them do it, and they knew God wouldn't want them to do it, and so they, they didn't do it. They let them live. Moses was found hidden in the reeds. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. That's what the government said. The government said, kill the male babies. No, we must do what God says. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bow down to my statue. No. If you don't, we're going to throw in the fiery furnace. Throw me in. 
Daniel 6, stop praying. As is your custom, three times a day, we all see you in your window up there praying. Stop praying. Worship only the king. Or you'll go into the lion's den. Go into the lion's den. God spared both of them. He didn't spare everybody. He didn't spare everybody that chooses and makes that hard decision sometimes to go God's way and not the government's way. But you're willing to pay the price. Because though the government does not have authority in that issue, he still has power in a lot of situations. In the book I was reading, it was talking about if a, if a burglar comes into your house and demands your wallet, and he's holding a gun at you and says, I want your wallet. And you say, you have no authority to demand that of me. You would say, okay, I may not. Give me your wallet. He's got power though, doesn't he? You follow me? Government has power. Some governments have a lot of power and you don't obey them, then, you're, then you're, they will kill you. The consequences are different in different places. Peter in Acts chapter 4 told to stop preaching. He and John are told to stop preaching. We don't want to hear you preaching anymore in Acts chapter 4. We go a few chapters later, they're still preaching. And they get arrested again. And they suffer consequences this time. They get flogged for it. And they're rejoicing because they're going to suffer for the Lord. But they said, we don't know. He says, whether... He says, we cannot stop preaching. We cannot stop preaching. God has done something in our lives that we must proclaim and we must preach. You are the governing authorities, no doubt about it. Yes, but this is what God said. You are out of your lane. They didn't use those words. You are out of your lane. This is God's work we're doing. And see, all this might sound valiant, but the point is you've got to remember if you're willing to stand for Christ and you're willing to do God's will when government tries to impose a different will on you, you may suffer. And you've got to be willing to suffer. And we may face that. We may face that. Right now, I can tell the government, no, you cannot come in that door and make us put up a gay pride flag outside our building. I can say that to them. And I have certain rights still that I can say and fight that or whatever. But I'd say you're out of your lane to come into the church and tell us to do that. If you want to require to the state buildings or other places where you have, where that is your realm, go ahead. But this is not your realm. The church is not the realm of the government. It does not mean that we're defiant to the government. It does not mean that we're not submissive to the government. It does not mean that we don't pray for the government. It does not mean that we malign the government. It does not mean any of that. We simply are submissive and respectfully say, hey, we go with God on these issues. This is not your realm. Your home is not the government's realm. There are certain things they can do. They can, no building codes, things like that. Those are certainly uh, understandable and acceptable. No, no doubt about it. Certain requirements uh, on certain laws are certainly fine. But they can't come into your home. That's not their realm. Fathers, that's not their realm to come into your home and tell you what you can and cannot teach your children. That's not their realm. That's your God-given authority and your family. 
God-given authority to elders in this church and any church is to govern the church and to lead the church. I don't, expect, I don't expect the world government to understand the importance of what we do here. I don't. They don't understand that. They think the worst thing that can happen to you in life is get sick or die. That is not true. The worst thing that can happen to you in life is die and go to hell. That's the worst thing. And that message must never be shut down. You know, a lot of times for, for the last, for as long as I've been in ministry and as long as I've been a Christian, this has all been hypothetical stuff to me, as it has to many of you. I didn't think of any of these conflicts with the government about anything until COVID came along. And I think Christian leaders were forced to take deep dive into passages like 1 Peter chapter 2, Romans 13, Titus 2, 1 Timothy 2. I say, wait, wait, what is this? All kinds of restrictions were placed on churches. I'm thankful for Florida. I am thankful for our situation was minor compared to what some churches around the country and world went through. And elders were forced to deal with, with government. Lots of books have been written on churches and what they learned through this. And we, we as elders, we, it was a struggle. It was a weekly struggle. It was on the agenda at every weekly meeting of how to deal with this, how to interpret this, what God would want us to do in this. It was not easy, and I know you, many of you know that. It was not easy to articulate and to think that out and to think that through. Fortunately, we were in agreement. That made it easier. We read lots of books. God versus Government is a book we read recently. It talks about the, what happened at Grace Community Church in California and what happened to Grace Life Church in Canada who chose to remain open. After they closed down at first, followed government restrictions at first, went with the government restrictions in a very restrictive areas, two restrictive areas, much more so than we ever were. And they made decisions to remain open and faced consequences. The pastor in Canada went to jail. His building was seized by the Canadian government. And they've been meeting in a secret place ever since. I'm not sure how secret it is now, but it was then. And in Grace Community Church, they were able to go through the legal process and uh, uh, the courts. The, the county ended up paying all the church's legal fees in that one. But they served as a shade for lots of like-minded churches by what they went through. I'm just saying it's, we had to think deeply as pastors because here I have my default verse, my default verse, submit to governing authorities. That's our default. But then I have verses that say, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Love and stimulate one another. The church is an assembly of the gathered of Christ. Practice the one another's. Partake of communion together. Sing together. Uh, I'm not saying it was easy to manage through that. And there's some very real issues there and real health concerns there. I'm not minimizing any of that. But that was not a decision at some point. At some point, that was no longer a decision for the government to make for us. It was a decision 
for our lane, not their lane. Jesus said, render unto Caesar those things that are Caesar's and unto God those things that are God's. Right there he tells you there's two realms. Caesar, stay in your realm. The church, is, this is their, your realm. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were Peter, remember Peter? Peter cut off the ear of that guy at, at the arrest of Jesus, at the soldier's ear, cuts it off. It must have just injured him. And I, I, I'm not sure the extent of the healing that went on there. But Jesus restores it and says, Peter, we don't need your sword. My kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, I would need your sword. But it's not of this world. I don't need that fight. It's a different kingdom. We are in a different kingdom. A different kingdom. I don't expect government to understand what we do here. I don't expect government to value what we do here as much as I and the other elders and you value what we do here. And that is to preach and proclaim the gospel for the Lord's sake. I submit to him for the Lord's sake because I want to honor the Lord by acknowledging sovereignly ordained leaders in my life. I want to do that. I want to submit to them. One church in Canada and uh, South Africa just opened recently. They were just able, their restrictions were incredible there. They finally came to the point where they said, no more, we're not staying closed anymore. And they wrote the government a letter expressing to the government their submission, their willingness to be submitted, their appreciation to the government for think, rest, working through hard issues that must have been very difficult for them. A very submissive heart was expressed, a very submissive. I read this uh, uh, book, I, uh, articles, and it's, the point was that they were, they were willing, but they said, we have to go, we have to express civil disobedience to you. We have to go against what you're saying. We are going to meet. We're going to meet. And we follow the Lord's example because he never sought to overthrow the government. Isn't it interesting? He never sought to overthrow the Roman government while he was here or oppose them. He just submitted to them and told his followers to submit to them. And our reason is because we want to see people come to the Lord. We want to see people come to Christ. Because we don't deal with the government the way the rest of the world does. We are submissive. We don't malign them. Listen, I didn't vote for these guys. Some of you did not vote for some of these guys that are running our country right now. I'll, that's, not the pro, that's not the issue. I must be in submission to them. God has put them where they're at. All of them. He has sovereignly done that. And I must be in submission to them. So... When he says for the Lord's sake, can I just say this? When he says for the Lord's sake, don't just get caught up in this is America. And don't get caught up in the politics of it. It's for the Lord's sake. It's for the Lord's sake. Make it about Jesus. Not what's happening in America. It's much bigger than America. So stay away from rebellion. Have heart and attitude that's rooted in submission and humility. Our government gets it right sometimes, you know that? Our government does. Some of you won't admit that because, but it's true, they do get it right sometimes. As bad as they can be in times, they still get it right. And our government has always been corrupt. Always. Go back in our history. Just read, read history. There's always been corruption in our government. 
It's never been a godly government. It's been influenced at times by godly values. They, the founding fathers used a lot of the principles of the pastors of their time in, in designing our original documents and things like that. But the point is, you've got to have a moral conscience to have a democracy. And the further away you get from a moral conscience, as it begins to erode, you have to have more laws to control us. So the, the further we move from God, that's our real problem. We've moved so far from God. So our government is still a common grace and we need to be thankful for it and we need to pray for them. 1 Timothy 2.1, Titus 3.1. And then he goes to verse 16 and I don't have any time left. I don't have any time to go there, but I got a lot more to say on this. So just assume when you leave here today that, well, he didn't say everything. There's still questions, and I get it. I get it. I get it. Hey, you want to know questions, you just look at the seven or eight books I read for this. I got questions. I got questions. I don't like the way our country's going, but I know that it's not any one person's fault. I know that it's because the further away you get from God, this is what you get, darkness. You get darkness. And that's why the church is called to be a light. The church is called to be different. Don't be like the world. Don't talk like the world talks. Quit listening to conservative radio and sounding like conservative radio all the time. That's what we sound like sometimes. We just mimic those guys and it's endless talk and we just sound like them. Don't do that. We can't do that. We are called to something much higher, much higher, to be a light in the darkness. This is evangelistic. These are for the unbelieving world to see that we are different, that we give credibility to this gospel that we preach. And just to tell you that I thank you for your prayers to the elders through all that time that we went through all of that. I mean, we, uh, we, it was a struggle. It was a struggle, I and mean, we were thankful for God. We came through all of that, and we're thankful for God that uh, He uh, protected our church through that and continues to. I mean, you never know. We don't know what's on the horizon. It prepared us for something else down the road, I know. As elders, we evaluated that with the deacons a couple of weeks ago just on what did we learn from the past that we need to prepare for the future because threats are out there. There are future threats that we're going to face, and we have to be ready for that. So, anyway, there's a lot more I like to say. Guard your inner life. Just guard your inner life through this. Guard your inner life. Don't get bitter and angry on the inside. That's what happens. And we all sound so angry. We all sound so bitter sometimes. We must guard our inner lives. Revile, but we don't need to revile in return. By God's grace, I can't do this in my flesh. I just preached you a sermon that I know in my flesh goes against everything I'm about as a fallen child of Adam. But by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to give credibility to this message I stand up here and preach every week to you. God, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for your word and thank you for your truth. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.